You know I love a great quote. You know I love great poetry. You know I love the great spiritual thinkers. So I'm going to start my show with one great thinker today. Matt, do me a favour, my producer. Would you put a lovely bit of ambient music behind this? One of my favourite thinkers is the Buddhist teacher and author Pema Chodron, who wrote, Life's work is to wake up, to let the things that enter into the circle wake you up rather than put you to sleep. And the only way to do this is to open, be open, be curious, and develop some sense of sympathy for everything that comes along. Get to know it, get to know its nature, and let it teach you what it will because it's going to stick around until you learn your lesson. Yes, you can leave your marriage. You can quit your job. You can only go where people are going to praise you. You can manipulate your world until you're blue in the face to try to make it always smooth. But the same old demons will always come up until finally you've learnt your lesson. The lesson they came to teach you. Now, I've gone back on these words so many times during difficult periods of my life. And of course, I've been thinking of them a lot recently. And for me, one of the greatest lessons the pandemic has taught us is just how interdependent we all are, how much we actually need each other, and how much our actions impact each other in ways we might never have even been previously aware of. And I think many of us have learnt lessons that we will take forward when this too passes. Because we've realised that the old ways of doing things can no longer serve us in the way that they once did. In business too, there's a new awareness of what the pandemic has taught us and many companies are finding new ways to do things, a kinder, more considered way of building a business that's profitable but also responsible. You see them all around you if you look, from local farmers delivering to homes in your neighbourhood to much bigger companies now taking their responsibility to people and planet seriously. So, as awful as this time has been for many, I believe the events of the past year have taught us something precious and they will continue to do so for a while yet. Here at Portus, my team and I have been inspired by some of those we've met who are on this kindness economy journey with us. Business people who are finding new ways of working that gives them more than they take. Lift up more than they drag down. Ending this endless need for newer, bigger, better and replacing it with something slower, more thoughtful and kind. I'm Mary Portas. Welcome to The Kindness Economy. The Kindness Economy podcast is supported by BT and its Small Business Support Scheme. So who's this on my generic video conferencing service? Hi, Mary. It's Pete Oliver from BT. Go on, tell me, Pete, today, what is it that BT are doing to benefit the kindness economy? Well, Mary, as part of our Small Business Support Scheme, we partnered with a company called Square to help UK small businesses securely accept contactless mobile payments 
uh, anytime, anywhere. And the reason we did this was that we were working with Small Business Britain to understand the impact of the pandemic. And we found that many SMEs were trying to become more digital. SMEs, SMEs, means small, medium enterprises. Back to you, Pete. Yes, of course. And, and we've seen over 25% of small businesses take contactless payments for the first time. And for both our BT and our EE mobile customers, we're now providing a free square reader and the first £1,000 of card transactions you don't have to pay any fees on. So it's really easy now to take contactless payments uh, in person or online or even over the phone if you're a small business owner. Thank you very much. So small businesses, you can find out more about the support on offer from BT by visiting bt.com forward slash small business support. So later on, we're going to be talking to Bevis Watts, who's the CEO of Triodos Bank. That is so interesting. How can we do banking and behave in a good way for the planet? But first of all, who's down the Zoom pipe today from my agency, Portas? Hi, Mary. It's Hannah, your senior client director. That's Hannah Gill, my senior client director. (laughs) Hello, Hannah Gill. Now tell me, what have you got in your little travels out and about with the kindness economy in action? Um, Well, I've seen a couple of examples, Mary. And the first one, I think you're absolutely going to love. Uh, So it's a brand called Sheep Included or Sheep Inc. Have you heard of it? No, 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 no. Keep going. Love the name. I'll tell you. So they've proclaimed themselves as being the world's first carbon negative fashion brand. um, And they create unisex knitwear that's trackable and traceable all the way from the sheep to the sweater itself. So each one of their products comes with an NFC tag attached to it. And you can scan the tag. What does an NFC tag mean? Near field communication, maybe? What, like where the sheep are, the near field? Right, go on. Yeah, keep going. Basically, you can scan the tag and it shows you the manufacturing and carbon footprint journey of your sweater. Um, But what I love most, 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 most of all, is that each jumper comes with its very own sheep adoptee. Oh, I've seen it. I'm looking at it now. I love it, Hannah. Isn't it so good? So every single sweater comes with a sheep adoptee, which provided its wool for your jumper. Um, and what they do is they send you regular updates about what your sheep's doing, what it's up to. They even tell you if your jumper outlives the sheep, because sheep only live for 10 years, but your jumper that they give you is for life. So they offer lifetime repairs. And their whole brand ethos is about reminding customers that clothing has this environmental impact, obviously, but that each piece starts out life somewhere. And in this case, it starts with a sheep. Oh, it's utterly adorable. And there's even a little thing, sheep name of the week. And they've got the names that people have put up. We know our farms, we know our sheep and we know our shepherds. That really is wonderful. Circular economy, sustainable and joyous. Great product too. Yeah, so nice. And actually just something from their website, which I thought you'd really like. A quote. Um, So what it says is, we believe in a better way of doing fashion. Changing set ways will be a challenge, but one we embrace. And our eyes are on what comes after and how to get there. Because never doubt that a small group of us can change the world. 
You know, that final quote was Margaret Mead. That was one of the first quotes that I put, never doubt. I think I, I, I went it. it off by heart, but it's absolutely beautiful. And um, it's often what I call a sort of evolutionary cluster. Yeah. Where there's a small group of people that go, we are going to make change. And no doubt what they're saying is it's that wonderful thing of it might not make us a fortune today, but we believe we're going to create a brand for the future. I love it. Hannah, what else have we got? Anything else that you've seen? Yes, I have another thing. So the second one is a business called the K Movement. Um, and it was basically an online PT and fitness platform, which was started by um, its founder called Catherine K. Um, but also um, the K stands for their integral principle, which is around kindness. So for oh. every three pounds spent on the platform attending online classes, they donate one pound to charitable, their charitable partners. So Mind, Age UK, NHS charities. And the idea is that by showing some kindness to yourself through exercise, through movement, you can also raise money and spread kindness to other people. Well, I love that one. A, because it's got our little word kindness in there. And do you know what's so funny about this? The K principle I love. Let's take that. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. When I first talked about the kindness economy, people just thought it was completely bonkers. How could you use the word kindness with an economy? And now it's going into the businesses that we love. So thank you. Thank you, Hannah, for bringing that to us today. Not take at care. all. Take care. Bye, 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 bye. Over the last couple of years, I've discovered new ways to support businesses that are working to create profit as well as a better world. And I've always been an obsessive recycler, haven't we all? I've switched to green energy, for instance. And it was only recently, though, that I discovered a new kinder way of banking. Yes, those words, banking and kindness, they don't often go together, do they? Now, we all know about the horror stories from those old bad practices that sparked the crash of 2008 to the continued huge investment in fossil fuels. But some banks, building societies and credit unions, are working to turn all of this on its head and try and create really positive change. Triodos is one of them, and its UK CEO, Bevis Watts, certainly isn't your average banker. He's an environmentalist who previously worked in sustainability and wildlife protection. And now he heads up a bank called Triodos UK, where the money you entrust to them is invested in projects that create positive social, cultural and environmental change. It's an exciting reimagination to transform a service we all use every day. And while you might think that the couple of hundred quid in your current account won't make a difference, think again. Yes, it actually can. Bevis, what a great name. Where's that from? Uh, I'm actually named after a book uh, called Bevis, The Story of a Boy by an author called Richard Jeffries, who was a nature writer in the late 1800s. And um, yeah, I was named after the boy, hoping I had as good a life as the boy, I suppose, inspired by being out in nature, exploring it. Um, and uh, yeah, I think uh, my, my father's not been with us for a long time, but I think there's a metaphor in the book because uh, he was an evacuee in the Second World War and there's no parents in the book. It's just somebody exploring the world and uh, yeah, demonstrating the right kind of values and compass, I suppose. Wow. So is that where it all started for you, the value system? I mean, were, were your parents, you know, were they a big guiding force in this? 
Oh, I, I think so. I mean, they're both vocational. My father was a teacher. My mother worked in the civil service in administration. So um, they're, they're, I think without it being explicit, there was something inherently there. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Well, where did you grow up then? Where did you? Um, mostly in Hampshire. So were you out walking? Were you out in nature? Did you connect with nature? I mean... Yeah, absolutely. Grew up with three dogs. So, you know, every day, several times a day out just uh, walking with my dad. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, who's a mad litter picker as well. So, uh. so what, one of the questions that I ask people when I do this and um, you take your time on it is that what, what act of kindness do you remember? And I, I'd like to think any act of kindness that's been done to, to you, because I think... You know, we don't talk enough about this, uh, particularly in business, you know, um, and and I'd like to, you've, you've had quite a varied, you know, uh, business life and I want to talk to you about, but is there anything on your way, on your journey or even now where you remember an act of kindness that just helped you and nurtured you in the way that you do business maybe? Yeah, if, if, if I think um, about my own journey to becoming a leader and also a very non-conventional banker if you like I think the I, I've been lucky to work for some people that have been um, yeah very nurturing and supportive in their um, style and development of me and uh, and I suppose I had quite a difficult time as um, uh, when I was a, a, a postgraduate um, because I'd just lost my father and doing my degree I was a bit lost and I was incredibly inspired by a lady called Jane Probert who was a a, a, a lecturer at the business school I was at, but she was just very supportive, encouraging, inspiring, kind of giving you confidence to go and try things and do things. Uh, and then I also had a fantastic chair when I worked at the Abel Wildlife Trust, who um, who was also very nurturing and and giving you the space to go and try and be your best self, really. So um, uh, I think those are the, the the times in my career where I've perhaps um, seen the biggest uh, step change and growth in myself in a in a very positive way. And in those instances, you know, do, were you able to be vulnerable with them and and truly be you and and, and discuss how you were feeling? I think when I was younger, I, the honest answer would be no. I think, you know, the, the, the maturity to connect with myself and what was going on and really express that wasn't there. And I think that's something uh, certainly I still feel I'm learning is to is to be vulnerable. I think in later life, absolutely. Uh, and when I first became a chief executive, I did feel very able to sort of um, talk to my chair about, you know, the, the, the pressures going on around me, the things, you know, that were impacting on me, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, but I think that that sort of inward journey to mm. connect with ourselves, understand our feelings, understand our interactions with one another is uh, is central to the kind of external problems we need to address in society uh, and finding a sort of deeper social connection and care for sustainability in one another through that. You did a PhD. Um, what was your PhD? Well, I, I did a business degree and through that I became fascinated in corporate environmental management. So my PhD focused on the UK recycling industry and how it could be developed and uh, and grown in the UK. And this this was in the mid-1990s when we recycled 5% of household waste. We were the dirty man of Europe. So, um, yeah, it was very timely. Do you know what our percentage is now? I haven't... Uh, well, it varies um, hugely by uh, different counties and different systems. You have some recycling as much as 50%, 60% household waste. So, uh, yeah. Hmm. And so you did this PhD and then um, you ended up... Well, I suppose you've swapped one ecosystem for another because... You know, protecting the natural world for changing to changing the financial one. 
know, <laughs> talk to me how that happened. Well, it all stemmed from those days in the recycling industry because in the early part of my career, I worked for RAP, the Waste and Resources Action Programme, and I was setting up and running the financial mechanisms arm, which was trying to leverage private sector investment into the growing recycling industry. And I remember meeting somebody from one of the big four banks who I was trying to inspire to invest in recycling. And they they firstly said, well, we're a bit reluctant uh, because we've got um, very large customers in the traditional waste management industry. And, uh, you know, this is displacement competition. Uh, We're worried about how this is perceived. And then they said at the end of the day, also the, the return on a landfill site is better the faster you fill it. So for me, this was a kind of mind-expanding moment where I was working at a real grassroots level trying to inspire change and uh, deliver positive impact. And I just realised there's all these systemic issues and vested interests that sit around. So, so I suppose that's when I became, you know, best part of 20 years ago, fascinated with the role of money uh, and, um, yeah, who controls it, how it's used in society. And, um, and that ultimately, later in my career, led me to work for Triodos Bank, which, um, which takes a very different view of... Uh, of those interests. I'm just going to come on to that soon, but those systemic issues that you talk about, I mean, we are going into, well, hopefully, the change that we're talking about, and certainly in in the kindness economy that, that I'm being inspired with, is how do we break down those old constructs, those systemic issues that you talk about where profit is number one and growth and as as the key tenet of success that 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 is the biggest issue we're up against even at the moment i'm in the middle of writing my book on this and all people want to know is can we do good and make money there's the make money with it now you know i'm i don't know about you but i'm not anti capitalism i'm anti exclusive capitalism and not inclusive or one that doesn't create social progress just this a big big question i guess i'm asking at the beginning i mean do you think it's possible to create business that makes money and is actually doing good in the world yeah, I, I do believe you can have purposeful business and I do believe we can um, fundamentally change our economy. And we, we have to come back to the fundamental principle that everything we operate within now is man-made. All of these systems, the, the, the economic conventional thinking we all um, uh, live within and so on, all of that is, is man-made and we can change it. And you touched on the, the growth mantra, we need to shift to uh, a society where we're not measuring our success purely in GDP terms. Mm. Uh, and so something we've um, uh, tried to support and sponsor the launch of in the UK is something called the Thriving Places Index which tries to sort of look holistically at measures of community that does include economic prosperity, but includes health metrics, access to nature, a whole range of things that looks at the health of, uh, of particular um, uh, areas of the UK. So, um, But we, we absolutely have to shift that. And I, I like to think I'm leading a business that has purpose at its core and that, that profit is a consideration because we need to be sustainable and you know able to demonstrate stability and reinvest in the business. But that is not the be on an end or growth for growth's sake definitely isn't but we have got this wrong haven't we i mean if you look at it I mean, the way that we have worked the way that we have created wealth is based on a construct that is not feeding people or feeding the world and i mean the word feeding i mean the, the mental well-being we've got the worst <laughs> that's ever been in the world not just in this country um mm. and we we've, we've got this wrong and to break this down 
is a big job, isn't it? Because in times, and especially now, in times of fear, don't we cling on to what we know? And that's where the safety is coming from. I, I entirely agree. And I think uh, you, we talked about vulnerability earlier, but I think we need leadership that really is prepared to be vulnerable and, and acknowledge that nobody has all the answers and that we need, we need real change. I think if you look at the sort of climate change debate and net zero, we hear big announcements about being the Saudi Arabia of wind and offshore wind farms and everything else. And th- these things will all play a role, but nobody is really grappling with we're going to have to fundamentally change how we live our lives and how we adapt, how we share resources, how we change our transport systems. And so at the heart of this are, are, are real problems that people are very fearful to admit. But, uh, but yeah, fundamentally, the, the, the shift is going to be much more dramatic than is presented to us at the moment. What's wrong with how money works at the moment? So um, money's a big debate and, uh, or a big issue as our financial system's a very broad thing. Um, and if I just focus on, on banking within that, I, I think there's a basic reason banks exist. And that's firstly to keep your money safe. That's why they were set up, really, is so you didn't have money under the mattress that might catch fire or get stolen or whatever. Uh, and secondly, it's to use that money in your long-term interest as a customer. It should be financing things within your community and your society that are, are useful and are financing a positive um, future. And what's really happened over the last um, 40 or so years since we had widespread deregulation of banking is that it became something that was a, a vehicle to make money from money. Uh, and we, we hear a lot about 25% of taxation in the UK is generated from the financial services sector. And we very much think banking should be more connected to the real economy. It should be lending to real people, real businesses, things that are then inherently connected to their communities, to the natural environmental boundaries they operate in. Um, but that disconnection is the fundamental problem. And then you could carry on and apply that. But that, that whole system of feeding growth for growth's sake, feeding profit maximisation, uh, really means we've, we've um, uh, got a financial system, and particularly a banking one, that is disconnected from our natural planetary boundaries or the societal sort of minimums that everyone needs to and we all saw what happened in the big crash of, you know, 2008. For all those banks that were helped out, you know, um, has there been what you call a systemic change in there? No, I, I think we've been in three, there's been three phases since the 2008 financial crisis. Firstly, there was a how do we stop this happening? And there was shoring up of the, the system. Then there was a kind of a debate about how do we stop this happening again? And it took about a decade and it's just really finished in the last year or so, putting in place new regulation that will stop the excesses of the financial crisis and the sort of irresponsibility that we saw. But it's only really now that we're seeing a debate emerge around, well, what really is the role of banks in society? What should they be doing? And there's been huge focus on uh, their role in financing climate change. And since the Paris Accord was signed in 2015, banks globally have invested 2.4 trillion US dollars into the fossil fuel industry. And so we have to be questioning and saying, well, what, you know, that's, that's our money. Are we happy with that? Is that what banks should be doing? Should we not be regulating banks to perform with a social and environmental responsibility as well as a financial one? Uh, and so that debate is happening and it is quite exciting. We, we're part of a number of initiatives, both globally and in the UK. So uh, we, we founded something called the UN Principles for Responsible Banking, uh, which are trying to sort of uh, align banks to the sustainable development goals. Uh, and we report against those ourselves um, as an organisation. Uh, and we're, we're very involved in initiatives leading up to COP26 uh, that are trying to get um, UK banks to make um, serious commitments to be part of net zero and 
and, uh, and reduce um, carbon emissions. So, OK, so how can we make the, the financial system kinder then? Talk, talk to me on what we need to do. And then I want to ask as well, is if I am, you know, Mary Porter's opening a bank account or one of my kids' first job, you know, uni, opening a bank account, how do we know? What, what should we be asking of those banks? And how do we do a check? Because... <clears throat> well, come on, to, you know, I talk about, you know, every pound is a vote that we spend on how we want to live. That's vital. Where we buy yeah. from, how we live, uh, and also where we put our money and who we work for. So if we could just start off with how we can make the financial system kind and what you think and what you're doing at Triodos that you think is, is fundamental to our way forward. Yeah, I mean, we use a very similar language. I often talk about the democracy of money. Every every pound that you save, spend or choose to invest has a has an impact. Money is not a neutral thing. Uh, you are making a conscious choice. I think we should stop on that. I agree. I, well, let's talk about that. Really say that to people listening now. I think we don't think we have the power, but we have the power, don't we? Yeah. People have the power. Yeah, and arguably it's one of the biggest um, forces of system change is, is that democratic power because... Financial institutions are big, sophisticated organisations that are looking at trends and what's happening and why people are leaving and why people uh, uh, choose to um, join them and so on. So, um, so what we try to be is is a reference point. We try to demonstrate that banking can be done differently and inspire people that there is a different choice and hopefully through that share some of what we're doing and nudge the wider industry towards thinking about how they might approach social and environmental um, sustainability. But but to 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 that point around democracy one of the most fundamental things I'd like to see is transparency. I'd like to see every bank do what we do, which is publish every loan and investment that we make. And actually, if you have a current account with us on the mobile app, you can actually see live where... Uh, in real time around you where where we're lending money. But um, I think if people really knew, then they would be much more activist in thinking about uh, their their choices that they're making. Um, But then the the wider sort of system change, there's a whole load of things that that, that, uh, need to happen around this systemic challenge. We need to challenge the profit maximisation that's driven really by a system that seeks short-term shareholdings. And, mm-hmm. and lots of speculation. Mm-hmm. So, so if if you think banks, um, uh, they play a vital role in society. It's it's a sophisticated technical thing that that, that banks do, um, and they generate a value from that. And in my view, that should be fairly distributed between shareholders, uh, co-workers in in the banks, and customers. And I think we've got a system at the minute that is about maximising the value to shareholders and to senior staff who are incentivised to serve those shareholders. But this is the same in every business, isn't it? And this is what we're talking about. You know, I always have the sort of the morning news as a, as a sort of benchmark on, you know, these chief executives were earning something like 25 times the amount of the staff. Now it's something like 370 times. Yeah, I read it this morning. I think it's something like 120 times is the, the average, you know. 120 so, um, times. I the mean, lowest paid person, yeah. It's, you know, the deals that so many of these chief execs are making of if they lose their job, they do the deal as they go in. So if you're offered the job as a CEO of whatever, you're also negotiating your exit package if they chuck you out. So the risk to them is relatively small for big, big returns. And we need to, the way that we talk about success in business, in the business news and on the business, we need to change that as well. So how would you like that talked about? Would it be the health of an organisation? What would be the tenets of success for you? If someone said, 
look what this bank is doing, and this is how it's mm. growing. What, what? Talk to me about what those those um, progress yeah. feelers are, whatever you're using in your bank. Yes, yeah, so I, I mean, I think the new language needs to be one of where we talk about impact. And so we produce a, an integrated annual report that's, that contains impact and aligned reporting to the sustainable development goals. So we will talk about how many um, meals and people we're feeding through organic food production. We'll talk about how many homes we're um, uh, powering with renewable energy through the um, renewable energy projects that we finance. And so we try to translate into something that's meaningful for people. And then absolutely all of the, um, the, the, the kind of financial metrics that you'd expect from a bank uh, have to be there. But fundamentally, it's also about the proposition. So we, we are saying to our shareholders that we will aim to pay you roughly between three and a half, five and a half percent return on your uh, capital investment in the bank every year. You know, we, we're not trying to pretend that uh, delivering a 20 percent return on a shareholder's investment is a sustainable thing to do. What would other banks be saying? What would they be doing as return on investment? Well, I mean, historically, if you look back, the banking sector was seen as something that could lay the goose that could lay the golden egg. And you saw huge high returns on equity pre-financial crisis. Uh, interestingly, if you look back since the financial crisis, um, sustainable values-based banks like Triodos globally have outperformed mainstream banks because they've been much more stable and that lower rate of return being consistent uh, rather than sort of uh, um, uh, yo-yoing has, um, has proved to be a much, um, a much stronger model. Um, and interestingly, there was a study um, last year by the European Investment Bank uh, Deloitte and the Global Alliance Banking on Values that compared the, the sort of um, the, the largest systemic banks globally. So forget values-based banks like Triodos, but just look at mainstream banks. And the, the ones that had the highest level of environmental and social governance performance also performed the best financially. So I think you're, you're actually seeing in the data, even in mainstream businesses, those that actually have the deeper sense of purpose and are thinking about their impact, even though they're in the early stages of that journey, are starting to outperform. It's interesting because um, I got very excited. I'm sure you've been listening to Mark Carney doing the the, yeah. the wreath lectures, but I got very excited about you know how he's talking about all, the, all this stuff. And I, and one of the things that he you know he he said that you know that the markets in the future will be defined by people rather than you know um, or our economic um, system will be defined by people rather than the markets. And I thought. Why is why did he not talk about this when he was the governor of the Bank of England? What, what do you think about that? I mean, he you can see him. He talks about investing in green. That's the place that we need to do in the future. Why do you think he didn't talk about in this way when he was the governor? I think when Mark Carney was the governor of the Bank of England, he was he was bold for a, a, a banker. But I, I suspect he realizes that we're we're just in the foothills. Of, uh, of a debate about this. And uh, what he did very successfully as governor is shift people into thinking that banks need to own the risks they're creating in the future. And so climate change is creating huge systemic risks for banks. If you've got portfolios of, of, of houses in flood risk areas or coastal areas, if you've got investments in fossil fuels that we may never be able to burn because governments start to legislate uh, against that and so on, then, then he got people thinking in that way. But I suspect in a highly politicised role, he couldn't go as far as he might have done. But in, in my view, we are only in the foothills of that debate 
uh, about um, uh, how banking needs to change. And we're going to have to regulate it in a completely different way and not just regulate it for the risks it's creating, but really regulate it for for societal uh, responsibility. I mean, many of us think that we really can't impact all of this, but I've been exploring what we all do individually. And one big change, for instance, is to switch to green electricity. You know, I also can't stop thinking about all the water it takes to produce a single apple. I mean, all these things that we learn. And and I, and, and I feel, sort of, why, why was I not aware of this? And the more that we talk about this, the more that we put it out there, the more you say what you're doing with Triodos, I think, you know, What's the one thing, I suppose, if I, if I, you know, talking to you in banking that you think each of us could do with our money? You know, I, I talk about it from often where we spend our money. That, that to me, that pound that I talk about being a vote and how you want to live. What's the one thing that you think each of us can do with our own money that will contribute to change? So the, the one thing we can all do is make a conscious choice. You know, we, we are getting much, much um, better. Uh, you see fast growth in organic food. You mentioned renewable energy about conscious choices. But you, you need to ask and challenge your, your bank, your pension fund, wherever you've got your money, what they're doing with it. And if the answer is um, that they can't tell you or that you don't like the answer you get, then you have to mobilise that democratic right to then choose consciously what your money is doing. And there are alternatives out there. You can uh, not just Triodos Bank, there are other alternatives. And so my ask of people is um, is just simply to make that conscious choice and be happy with what your uh, money is doing is aligned to your values. Because it's, it, it's, it well, I, I don't know what the stat and you'll know it, how when, when you get your bank, you sort of stick with them for the rest of your life because the pain of changing over. What's the ridiculous stat? Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, more, likely to, you're more likely to get um, divorced than you yeah. are to change your bank. So currently, there's typically between 900,000 to a million people who switch their bank account in the UK uh, in any one year, which is uh, tiny. And most of those people are switching for financial incentives because you get £200 to do so in any one particular initiative. And 75% of people in the UK still bank with four big banks. Uh, and some of those are the largest fossil fuel banks um, in, in the world. So uh, we, we need to really um, realise that we have over 140 options as to where we choose to have our kind of everyday savings and current accounts in the UK, um, from credit unions, uh, building societies, um, ethical banks, all sorts of uh, options. And we, and we need to sort of embrace that. But- the, the big word, the, the two words, is the financial incentive. We, you know, we are now in a time where we're going into, well, we are right in the middle of it, you know, a real economic crisis as well. People are thinking about how they're living. I think I've seen a shift. There's no two ways about it. And I think, you know, what COVID has done is, is it's sped that up for us to understand our needs as humans, actually, and really look what's important to us around us, you know, our sense of community, our sense of connection, mm. the interconnectedness that, that's, that started to be so much more aware uh, when we're suddenly unable to do so many of the things that we were doing before. Where, where is our importance? But still, 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 you know, financial security is vital, to people and you know the incentive that you talk about that these banks giving how do we balance that with people because you know this is without sounding you know is this mm. just for people who have money and can afford to say right i want to look after this planet and and i and i don't mean to decry that but it sounds how do we speak to the mass of people and say your money can still make money for you there is financial incentives but it's doing good what's the key message there 
people have to realize that their money is when it's put in a bank is doing something and that has an impact on every aspect of our lives uh, and so we have to take it back to being relevant to those people uh, and their everyday lives but the and the transparency point I mentioned is key to that. But what you're describing, Mary, actually, there's there's interesting dynamics emerging from COVID because I think the, the private sector and the private finance sector had a huge role to play in climate change and delivering the sustainable development goals pre-COVID. But what's happening now is we've got a national savings ratio that is growing faster than ever. So people mm. have never mm. had more savings than they have now because they haven't been spending so much. So we're really ending up mm. with greater social inequality in people who haves and haves not. Because if you had assets, you're in secure jobs now, then you're actually getting wealthier. And on the same token, we've got the highest level of national debt uh, than we've had post uh, Second World War. So the state are not going to be able to uh, fund the kind of transition we need to see uh, to a sustainable economy uh, in, in the way they might have done. Uh, and yet we as individuals have more money than we've ever had, or, or, you know, uh, when aggregated and that's not to say a lot of people will really be struggling and uh, and very much be left behind by this crisis but but as as an as an entire society we've never had so much money so we have to mobilize that responsibility and really think about you know do i want to be financing renewable energy fair trade organic farms do i want to be uh, financing social housing or do i want to be financing tobacco fossil fuels arms it's it's a conscious choice yes but do you do it because i would love to see and you you probably do it if you don't do this, this is the cost to your daily life anyway. Do you see what I'm saying? Because all of that, it comes back in another way. We're paying yes. for this in another yeah. way. So that short term, I can get 200 quid if I join this bank. Actually, the cost to me on a daily basis and the way I live on us having to regenerate what we are absolutely killing is greater. Is there any way that yeah. that's explained? So that I can... No. I can see if I do that now, I know I might not get the £200 now, but actually long term, the saving for me as an individual and the world and the planet and the way that it, it affects my life is going to be better. Yeah, I, I think it's a very complex thing to do. Mm. You can see it simplistically in some ways because uh, there are a number of sort of people that rate uh, banks. Ethical Consumer Magazine is one, uh, and they rate banks based on their climate change plans and uh, uh, and so on. But um, what we're doing is we're challenging some of the mainstream um, consumer magazines, people like which... Um, money supermarket and so on because all you see on comparison websites is yes. an interest rate uh, or, or a fee or an incentive you, you have no idea so if it said in brackets you know uh, this bank has x percent of its portfolio in fossil fuels or, or whatever then you you might actually have a very different uh, perception of of how that money is being earned and uh, and how you're um yeah w whether you're benefiting or not um but to do what you're describing i think is a complex issue uh, and we have been an advocate for some time and are trying to support initiatives in the UK that are looking at product standards because we need very robust labelling around financial products to, to really give the consumer the power. But we do it, we're so bad at doing it on so many things. I mean, it's like picking up something in the supermarket that's packaged and it's been flown in and what that's done <laughs> in terms of what that's done to the planet. But we could so, I don't think that's that difficult. But of course, they won't do it. You know, why would you do that? Um, but there must be some answer on this. And I think you know, we're, this is a slow burn, but a, a deep one, isn't it? And it's happening. What I mean by that is, in a way, you know, coming from the air of the business that I, I have been in for years in, in um, around fashion, you know, we've been, it got faster and faster. 
and you can just see everything, the growth of the secondhand market now, everything's about slowing down. And we need to understand what that does to us. It might not give us the returns immediately now, but this is really the returns that are going to be beneficial for the world, for your children, for us in the next five years. And it's how we can make that um, exciting for people, actually. I think that's really important. Comforting, safe and enjoyable. And this speed of short-term returns moving away. And it, 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 we need so many new new benchmarks that need to be created, new ideas that are seen as exciting because actually at the heart of them, they're good. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That was a very long-winded yeah. answer to that. But I just, you know, it, it's the most difficult. And what's it, what I find so exciting about this is that we're all building this, you know. We're all, none of us completely have the answers, but there's this wonderful, you know, um, ecosystem of people that are going, we know we need to do this. So how do we keep getting the message out there? How do we keep embracing uh, uh, this message together and, and uh, yeah. powerfully replacing all the old ideas that were these silent arsonists lighting the fire yeah. that that was just burning up our, our, our lives and our, our mental lives as well. I know that sounds a bit sort of I'm going off on a tangent here, but it is it's something I think about every day and every night. Yeah. Do you? No, absolutely, crikey! I mean, I I, I spent my entire career and uh, you know life worrying about these issues and uh, you see, know, I we, didn't. We, I was I was feeding it. I I have maybe I've got a major guilt. You know, I look back on my years of selling more stuff, and I thought, yeah, God, I'm clever. I came to it late. You're much more ahead of the game than me. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny. I, I I did start at the very beginning in trying to, I suppose, ask myself because because there was a time where, as I said at the beginning, I lost my father. I was thinking, well, what's what's life all about? What's what's purpose? You know, and uh, and I sort of then realised I had this deep interest in the natural environment and what was going on around me then. So um, yeah, so but I, I've been trying to affect it for a long time, Erin. I think the the kind of sophistication you're talking about and uh, product standards and true transparency will take time, some time to come, and we've got to keep pushing for that. And lots of people have to work towards that. But in the near term, I think you know lots of people, people like yourselves, the media can play a much more active role in really scrutinising what we're being told and and looking out for greenwash but really you know looking through what the long-term implications are because we're often presented with solutions that are short-term and feel good and sound good but actually you know electric cars is a good example they're a fantastic thing but they're not addressing the fundamental issue which is it's a very inefficient way to move people around in individual metal boxes that still have whether they're electric or not huge carbon emissions associated with them there's a lot we've got to really grapple with and i think the media play a huge role in that fast forward for me five years if you would what do you what do you hope and do you believe we can see in the world of business well, I, I mean, in the world of business more generally, I hope we are seeing an awakening uh, of having to align with a sense of purpose. And I do believe the, mo the most successful businesses of the future are the ones that can demonstrate the highest levels of environmental and social responsibility to their customers. Yeah. Because I think, 
you know, I, I stood in Bristol at the youth climate um, uh, sort of strike, uh, listening to Greta Thunberg, um, you know, uh, last um, spring. And she said, change is coming whether you like it or not. We are the change. And so there's no more powerful way of describing that the future generations are going to demand something very different. And you're going to see the biggest transfer of wealth over the next two decades that there's ever been as well. And that's going to, um, I think, really uh, make big businesses sit up and take notice. I mean, within banking, uh, we specifically want to see some things short term uh, and building up to COP26 to, to try and drive that shift to, to purpose. So the UK's just led the way and they've made disclosure of carbon um, reporting, climate change risk reporting mandatory for big businesses. But I think that has to be something we get a global commitment to and really provide leadership on. So all big businesses, whether banks or not, have to disclose their carbon uh, impact uh, through their activities. Um, but beyond that, we, we have to then have common methodologies for how people are assessing that because lots of people are making net zero pledges and it, a lot of it's nonsense because they have no idea of the robust starting point uh, uh, and uh, the methodology that they're then committing to use to report against that. So, um, so in five years' time, I'd hope we've kind of got through some of those baby steps that there are real sort of legislative requirements for people to take ownership of those sorts of issues um, common global methodologies in place and uh, and then you know hopefully we're on to the next step which is thinking beyond net zero and thinking much more deeply about the sustainable development goals which are addressing up you know as you know a much broader range of issues everything from poverty to marine life and biodiversity loss Carl, we've got a lot to do haven't we we have we have got a huge amount to do i mean i i do go into 2021 are quite optimistic. I think we're seeing a lot of technological developments. I do think the social consciousness is is shifting around us quite dramatically. But as we said earlier, I do think we need leadership that's prepared to be more vulnerable and, and talk to people openly about the kind of shift and journey that we're going to have to make. This isn't something that's going to be solved quickly with a few initiatives and just simply tweaking our energy generation. And I think we need new role models. We need people standing up there and talking about this and it becomes... At the risk of sounding markety, but true, the modern way to live. You know, the old way we need to show the dinosaurs. That's what I love doing. That just feels past. This is a modern, thoughtful, creative, mm. insightful, and a much, much better way to live. Yeah, it's not a real word, but I, I, I wrote an article um, many years ago where I used the word considerism and the editor gave me a really hard time. Going, That's not a word. It's not in the dictionary. What is it? But a lot of people understand what I mean when yes. I say we need an age of considerism yeah. where we are considerately thinking about the impacts of every aspect of our lives. And and also, you know, the, the demand that of, of everybody else and uh, and ask for that, be vulnerable to ask that actually we want better things for ourselves and we need everyone to cooperate in that. I agree. Well, it's been lovely talking to you, Bevis. Likewise. Thank you, um, Mary, for everything you're no, doing. No, I'm... Well, <laughs> I have to say, I did start the year just thinking this is really, really important. And I'm excited by it. You know, the more I, I dig deeper into it and the more you open up the doors and the more you speak to people, you realise there really is this shift, there's this energy shift. And we have to keep going with that. We just have to keep pushing this. It's a very exciting. And of course, I, I, I transferred my money to Triodos. I opened up my bank. Oh. It was very easy, actually, I have to say. Thank you. That's good to hear. We're going to stay on money next week, but we're going to move to the larger global economic picture and what we can all do to stop measuring everything purely by numbers. GDP, economic growth. What about 
well-being and the health of people and the health of our planet. So to help me unpick this, I'm speaking to the economist Kate Rayworth. And believe me when I say she is truly inspiring. She once said, it's time to reimagine the shape of progress because today we have economies that need to grow, whether or not they make us thrive. And what we need, especially in the richest countries, are economies that make us thrive, whether or not they grow. That's next week with me, Mary Porters, on The Kindness Economy.